0: Welcome back to the Celtics Lab podcast brought to you by BetOnline.ag. I am your host, Cameron Tuttabai, alongside Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Quinn. We're breaking down the latest action between the Celtics and Nets. And to do exactly that, we welcome in Alex King of Alex Hoops on YouTube fame. Alex King, how are you?
1: Doing well. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. So, Alex, you make exceptional YouTube videos and specifically the ones about the Celtics caught our eye. So in the lab portion of the programming, we're going to kind of ask you about your process, what you're seeing from the Celtics and all that jazz. But first, it's Sunday morning. We have to talk about game three. Uh, the Celtics won that one 109-103 behind 39 points, five rebounds, six assists, and six steals from Jason Tatum. The Jays outscored Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving 62-32. to Alex King, you are a little bit of an outsider on this series, at least compared to us homers Um, what are you seeing from the Celtics uh, what are you seeing from the Nets rapid reaction go
1: yeah I mean with the Celtics they're obviously doing everything in their power to make Kevin Durant as uncomfortable as possible like Kevin Durant had to play completely different than he normally plays like obviously against most teams he's able to just go out there and score the basketball over pretty much anybody but the Celtics are making him so uncomfortable that he only took 11 shots last night which Mm -hmm. it's Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant's never going to take less than, like, 15 shots. So the fact that they got him to go out there and completely change his game plan, uh, I mean, you can tell he's clearly being made uncomfortable. And then they're just capitalizing on, you know, a lot of the bad coaching from Steve Nash. I think last night they ran a three-guard lineup, and none of the the guards were over 6'3", and -hmm. none of them were Kyrie Irving. So it was like, what are you doing? So they're making the most of those just – blatant errors uh, on Steve Nash's end um they're making Kevin Durant uncomfortable and it's just really fun basketball you can tell they're having a lot of fun out there and you know their defense is insane it's one of the best defenses I've seen in my time as a basketball fan in the postseason it's just incredible
0: yeah um <clears throat> Alex talk to us about what the Jays are doing so successfully because obviously the defense is maybe the first and last word but uh it's not like the Celtics aren't Scoring the ball. Tell us about that. Uh, Alex Goldberg.
2: So a couple of things are happening here. Um, The first is that Jason Tatum has emerged into a complete offensive player as well as a defensive player um, to the point where there's just not really a way that you can guard Jason Tatum anymore. Um, He has the full package scoring. He's attacking the rim and also taking jumpers when it's appropriate rather than settling for them is one thing that really stands out to me. Uh, it does. It's not like kind of the beginning of the season or previous iterations of Jason Tatum, where he's really forcing the issue with the shots. He's just kind of taking them in the flow of the offense. Um, he's getting to the line and kind of crucially, he's making just much faster decisions with the basketball in his hands, whether it's driving, attacking, spotting up for a jumper or uh, using his drives to create for others. His passing has been maybe the best I've ever seen it in this series in particular. And he's really doing a great job just like being the full package offensively for this team. He's in in a lot of ways, he is effectively the point guard, even though Marcus Smart is bringing the ball up and kind of getting the initial action going. All of the playmaking is coming through Tatum and uh, the team has really responded. Uh, They're capitalizing on all of the kind of open shots that his gravity has created. And then for Jalen Brown, you know, there's been a lot of kind of hay made about how Jalen Brown has at times looked uncomfortable in this series. And it's true that for the first three quarters, you can definitely see that he's kind of feeling his way out in a lot of these games. And the Nets are doing their best to kind of take away some of the easiest shots uh, in his repertoire. but. The fourth quarter comes and something just clicks in this guy's brain. And he has been really, I think the, the thing that stood out to me is he's been using his, just the fact that he's a physically overwhelming matchup so well in the fourth quarter, in particular, anytime that he's got a guy like Seth Curry or Goran Dragic on him, he's taking the ball to the basket and really just like abusing his mismatches, particularly in the fourth, he's really emerged as, Uh, kind of closer for this team. Uh, I think that that's kind of what stands out to me for the Jays particularly, but frankly, the entire Celtics offense just looks really good at times. There's definitely some times in the series where they get bogged down by the Nets' length, particularly when Durant and Claxton and Bruce Brown are all on the floor together. But uh, Steve Nash has not done a great job of utilizing those lineups and getting them into situations where they are all on the floor without a lot of players that can also be hunted. And the Celtics have responded appropriately. Their offense looks great on kind of all levels.
0: Dr. Quinn, um, I mean, really, you can tell me anything you want from game three because that was just a party. But if you could weave in a little bit of uh, Robert Williams' analysis. That'd be great because we did see the Time Lord return.
3: Well, he seems to be feeling just fine. Everybody seems to think he could have played more. Uh, I do think that how they are using him in a more limited role is the way to go because what has brought them success has been how they have been playing without him and there's no point in tinkering with what's been working while it's working. So I actually don't necessarily expect to see too much more of him in game four, but... As far as his overall health, there was a lot of concern that he wasn't going to be ready coming back. And he does look like he is a little bit out of sorts, doesn't quite know exactly how they have been playing, because it isn't quite the same as they were playing with him. Uh, he, he hasn't really been supplanted so much as they've just found something that worked and they're not about to go away from it. So he's kind of like struggling to find a, a place in that. But even still, he was pretty productive. Like the, the, the stat line was pretty minimal, but I mean, he had like a really good block. He had... Um, that amazing dunk, it was overall a pretty solid return performance for someone who hasn't been playing basketball for a month. Alex, you wanted to say something? Well, to that end, Justin, I think that brings up a really
2: interesting question for the Celtics heading forward. So assuming that they are able to close out the Nets in however many games it takes, maybe it's next game, maybe it's the game after, um, it, it seems at this point that the Celtics should be the overwhelming favorite to win this series and move on to the next round. And assuming you get the Milwaukee Bucks, which I think even though Toronto, sorry, Toronto, not DeMar DeRozan is not on Toronto anymore. Um, Even though the Bulls have played the Bucks, I think probably better than a lot of people expected. I think at least the three of us, myself, you and Cam, all agree that uh, I think the Bucks are probably going to win that series. Um, So assuming it's Bucks round two. I think it actually does bring up an interesting question of who should be getting the starting nod at the five between Tice and Robert Williams going forward, because in a vacuum, I think Robert Williams is pretty clearly the better player of the two but they've really found something with this Daniel Tice starting lineup. Tice has not necessarily put up the greatest stat lines. And there are times when he looks a little overmatched, but the cohesiveness that those five guys play with on the defensive end really stands out to me. And when Tice is called upon to make big plays, he's delivered time and time again. I think also given that Rob is coming back after a, a significant absence where he's going to have to take some time to kind of relearn the speed of the game. I think there's a reasonable question heading into the next round as to who should be starting between those guys. And I don't really know the answer, but I'm just kind of curious around your thoughts.
0: Sure. Um, Let's jump the gun a little bit. Alex King, I'm going to ask you about a video you made about Rob Williams later, but without tipping your hand too much vis-a-vis Alex Goldberg's question. Um, would you put Robert Williams right back in that starting lineup? Or if it ain't broke, don't fix it.
1: I'm kind of of the belief that, like, you know, if you're able to get by with Tice starting and you, you don't have to bring Robert Williams back into the fold full time as a starter, um, why fix it? But, you know, I don't think it's going to be an issue in this matchup. Maybe if you run into the Bucs, then you look at it and you're like, okay, we might want to consider giving Robert Williams more minutes, putting him back in the starting lineup, um, trying some different things out. But, you know, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. Like you said, uh, why risk, um, you know, putting more wear and tear on him after he's coming off this injury, which he was playing with um, a lot of athleticism last night. Like he threw down that lob and then he was going up for rebounds and fighting for boards. And I was like, all things considered, he looks pretty healthy out there. Uh, But again, you know, increased uh, load, um, more wear and tear put on him. You never know what could pop up. So uh, if you don't have to start him, um, it seems like he's pretty much understanding that it's not that he's not a starter level player. It's that we don't need you to start. Why should we risk it? So that's kind of where I stand on it.
0: Yeah. I mean, if the Celtics are playing with house money against the Nets, I think he just, they just need to center to match up with, Andre Drummond. So <laughs> I could stand at a milk crate and probably do that right now. Like, I don't think it's that big of a problem. Um, and I will say, and then we'll keep it moving. Tice isn't as polished as he was a few years ago, but he plays his heart out. Um, and if Rob needs a little bit of time to, to get comfortable, such that until he's diving all over the court and whatnot, let Tyson his six fouls do it because the effort that he plays with, he gets it wrong sometimes, but I mean, it's, it's a phenomenal asset. Speaking of effort, some players maybe have not exhibited their best effort this series and, spoiler alert, I'm talking about Kyrie Irving. So, in game two, uh, the Celtics were also victorious. Kevin Durant looked uh, Alex King, to borrow a phrase, uncomfortable, um, and maybe we can break down what's kind of going on with Durant, but Kyrie Irving, he went for 39 in game one, but in game two and game three, he was ineffective or even a net negative. And and certainly in game three, the body language was no good. He looked like the Kyrie Irving of 2019, quite frankly, early in the clock, hoisting up threes, um, bickering with teammates, totally disjointed um, in the post-game presser. Um, I'm biting my tongue, but Alex King, what are you seeing from Kyrie Irving uh, from a Nets perspective or from Celtics perspective?
1: Yeah, it's you know, I kind of get the vibe when I watch him and this kind of goes for not just Kyrie Irving, but also Kevin Durant, these guys, you know, it's never their fault. It's Mm -hmm. always going to be their teammates fault. You know, we're the superstars. We're the first and second option or the one a and one B, however you want to put it, you know, it's not our fault. We're scoring the basketball Kyrie is going to go out there and get his 30 points. And you know put up big stat lines and get the highlights but at the end of the day if that's not getting your teammates involved and you know establishing a a sound offensive game plan then at the end of the day who really cares and I don't know it's just we're really seeing what has always been seen by teams that have Kyrie Irving the Cavs saw it you guys as Celtics fans saw it now the Nets are seeing what what Celtics fans told them when they first got Kyrie Irving, they're like, you know, have fun. You guys take him, you guys deal with him now. And now they're reaping the full rewards of that. And, you know, it's like, are you surprised? Everyone's told you this Cavs fans, told you this Celtics fans, told you this now, I mean, you made your bed, you got to sleep in it. And, you know, there's a little bit of satisfaction. Even me, I'm not necessarily a Celtics fan, but, you know, I get a little bit of satisfaction from seeing Brooklyn fans who spent all year last two years saying, oh, once we get Kyrie and and Kevin Durant healthy, you know, we're going to go and win a championship. And now it's like you might get swept in the first round. And even then, Kyrie is still out there on the floor like it's not my fault. You guys got to play better.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. So, um, and then we're beating a dead horse. I mean, Kyrie's Kyrie. Um, My girlfriend has a funny quip about New Yorkers that they – are so self-loathing. They keep electing these idiot mayors. And so that's why Eric Adams is the mayor of New York right now. It's just like a little bit of self-sabotage. And I kind of feel that way about the Nets. Um, Tony Kornheiser calls Kyrie Irving the unhappiest professional athlete and Kevin Durant, the second unhappiest professional athlete. And quite frankly, James Harden could be number three. I mean, they just, they're crumb bums a little bit. And maybe the Nets fans like that. Uh, That's just like part of their New Yorker personalities to like, like, love the Nets and love the Mets and uh, love the the Knicks and like all of these sad things that let them down. But I'm so happy. I don't have to pretend to root for Kyrie Irving anymore. Um, Justin or Alex, anything
2: quickly? I mean, listen, I hope that the Nets give Kyrie Irving a big old five-year extension heading into this off season. I would be really excited for that to happen because frankly, outside of that first game in which he was, a nuclear level scorer and he can still do that. He's been a net negative this series. I mean, there's just kind of no other way to put it. He's been getting in games two and three. He got pretty soundly outplayed by Peyton Pritchard. Um, You know, I think the thing about Kyrie that uh, stands out is that, when he is in his scoring flow state, he becomes a literally unguardable player. Like, the Celtics played great defense on game, on him in game one all throughout that game, and it just didn't matter. He can hit whatever shot he wants. But the second he's out of that mental state, I saw a, a really devastating tweet, which basically just said that he was uh, Jamal Crawford on a max contract. And it's like, uh, he's, not, he's, not, he's better than Jamal Crawford. But there is kind of a vibe there of the fact that this is like a super high usage, ISO heavy scorer who doesn't really pass the ball and has always been a bad defender. And there are real costs to having that kind of a player on your team. I mean, the Celtics have been rocking with these kind of point guards for you know the better part of half a decade up until basically this year when Brad Stevens said, screw it, I want a giant defensive monster for my point guard. Uh, There's real consequences to having that kind of a player be your lead dog on offense. And I think the Nets are starting to see it. But, you know, if they give him a giant max contract over the course of this offseason, I'm not going to be too upset.
3: I do want to add a little bit of context just because I've been making a lot of excuses about why Kevin Durant looks like he's just not himself, and it's the defense. The defense is making him bad, but it's not just the defense. It's also that they had to play him 40 minutes, and we can have the discussion about whether it's appropriate for star players to be able to play 40 minutes because people in the past did it. That's a legitimate argument. I'm not having here. Players today do not play 40 minutes per game to close out the regular season, never mind in the playoffs. So it's almost as if Durant has played a full set or two fulls almost uh, series worth of, worth of games. And because of that, when you mix into the fact that they clearly need another shooter, like a knockdown shooter, they have one, but he's not able to play, you know, in Joe Harris, they need a lockdown defender uh, who also has not been able to play. Maybe he'll come back for game four, but I mean, at this point, it's kind of a moot point, realistically, at least historically speaking. So like there's all these different things going on with the Nets on how they could be a more formidable team. And they are, they have been such a formidable team, even in this incredibly wounded state that they have been able to stay right with the Celtics until at least this last game where it really looked like Boston was in control from the start to the end. But in the first two games, they they were in those games and looked like they had a really reasonable chance to win them. There is a good chance that they do come back and they are fully healthy and they're a really dangerous team. But if they get swept, I don't know that the other aspects of a team... The, the, the social, the human aspects of the team, based on what we've seen out of Kyrie in the past, and even to a certain extent, Kevin Durant, that this team is going to stick together. So it's going to be really interesting to see where this ends up going.
0: Teams that go up 3-0 and in the NBA postseason are 143-0. and So as much fun as it was to break down that series, it's curtains. We don't need to spend any more energy on that. Um, I do just
2: I sorry, Kim, I do just want to jump in, though, with one last bit of praise for just how absurd the Celtics defense has been over the course of these past three games. I mean, I, and and specifically, I want to give a shout out to Al Horford. Um, Al Horford has been playing out of his damn mind at 35 years old. You look at the way that this guy is moving around on the floor. He's covering every switch. He's jumping in for help. He's getting back out to shooters. He's leading the charge on the rim protection. He's getting rebounds. Like he he's playing like a guy who looks like he's like 29 and in his physical prime. It's just been absolutely a joy to watch Horford uh, kind of rediscover his brilliance at that end. Not that he hasn't been doing it all year. He has been, but he's now doing it at a level that is reminiscent of like the peak of Al Horford's career, which is just really, really special.
0: Well, let me do this. Let's pause the action, talk about our friends at betonline.ag. And if we have to gush a little bit more about the Celtics, I think that's okay. Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the playoffs, fights, and even next season's features. And don't forget that baseball is back and the start of Major League Baseball is finally here. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting in your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started. Just head to the website today or use your mobile device to get started. Use our promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. And if you are riding high on the Celtics, you can go get them as the best choice to advance from the Eastern Conference. They're sitting at 130 Next team is the Miami Heat at plus 310. So if you're feeling good, head over to Bet Online, where the game starts. All right. Alex King of Alex Hoops fame over on YouTube. We brought you on to talk about some of the video uh, that you've been putting out, um, specifically, obviously, the Celtics ones. So I'm going to swing attention a little to you. But again, if you got something to say about Al Horford, if you got other <laughs> compliments to uh, shower the Celtics with. I mean, we're riding high here in the hub. So Alex King, actually, let me just ask you this. How long have you been making um, NBA YouTube videos?
1: Yeah. So it's been, you know, I did little things here and there. Like I had a podcast before it was like the film breakdown and, you know, player profiles that I kind of do now. Um, But the content that I'm currently making, uh, I'd say it's been a little bit over a year now. I believe I started in February, 2021. um, So about a year.
0: Cool. I mean, we've talked about on this pod, uh, the NBA TikTok world is like an unknown frontier to me. And YouTube is like a subcategory of that. Um, So I'm really like always excited to learn more about how that sausage gets made because I, it's so far beyond my technical expertise, but I do, I do love watching it. So let's start with this two months ago or so you put out a video talking about the Celtics being a dark horse contender what did you see from the Celtics that, that inspired you to make that video? Um, and for folks who haven't seen, what, what kind of uh, things were you talking about and have they held?
1: Yeah, so really, you know, the Boston Celtics, you guys obviously know this and all Celtics fans probably know this. The start of the season was not a good start to the season. Um, It is not what a lot of people expected from Boston, particularly from Jason Tatum. I myself, as well as a lot of other people that I talked to expected Jason Tatum to come into this season and kind of take that leap to like MVP caliber player. Um, He finished the year last year kind of on the fringe of being called like a top 10 player in the entire league. Uh, That seemed to be a generally held opinion that was starting to become more normalized. Um, I was feeling pretty comfortable with that. And then the start of the season rolls around points per game is down. Efficiency is down. We weren't seeing as much of that playmaking that we started to see from him last year that really offered a lot of promise. And we were like, Oh, this guy's looking like a legit, you know, all NBA caliber player, maybe MVP conversations are in store. And that just wasn't happening. And, you know, season goes on, there were kind of talks, a locker room issues. Um, there were questions around uh you Udoka, uh, kind of the job that he was doing as a coach and then that kind of carried on until December and then January rolls around and I don't know what happened I don't know if there was like you know a clicking point but something happened and they come out in January and they look like a completely different team um and really I didn't say this in my video but to me what changed was you've got all these different players some have been there for a really long time Some just now got there, uh, but like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, those are kind of the three primary pieces that have been the main parts of this team. You've got Robert Williams, who was really starting to develop into his own. And I feel like the difference between the start of the season and then that shifting point in January was they kind of seemed to find an identity, which with teams like this, with all these different guys and all these different uh, mouths to feed, so to speak – um it's tough to find an identity you know jason tatum wants to get his numbers and i respect that because it has an impact on the game and he impacts winning but you know he wants to be the star and i don't blame him he deserves that he's worthy of that jalen brown also star level player marcus smart respected point guard defensive player of the year first guard to do it uh since gary payton Um, So, you know, you've got all these different things to balance and I think one of the most important things that any coach has to do is manage ego. And I think very few coaches are able to do it. It's incredibly difficult. You can be the smartest, you can be the smartest X's and O's coach in the world. If you can't balance the ego of your primary players, it doesn't matter how smart of a coach you are. So I think Ime Yudoka is just really good at he, he did a great job of getting them to buy in and believe in this identity. And I think that was really important to them. And I think one of the catalysts for this shift. Got them to buy in on defense. Their defense started looking unreal. At the trade deadline, they ended up trading and consolidating the roster a little bit, moving off of Enos Kanter, Enos Kanter Freedom, sorry. Moving off of him, uh, just a complete liability on defense. Did not fit their identity at all. Got rid of uh, Dennis Schroeder, who really wasn't doing anything, not nearly as much as uh, I believe the Celtics would have hoped for him to do. And just kind of consolidated, got Derek White, who Derek White, you know, he's not gonna, he's not the most efficient scorer in the world. He's not gonna go out there and drop 20 points per game. But, you know, I've always described him as like a connector. He's a connecting piece, uh, can really help facilitate your offense while also also offering really great defense. And I think that's exactly what the Celtics needed because, you know, Jason Tatum's playmaking has progressed a lot, Jalen Brown, has really come into his own in terms of not just shot creation, but also offering all the things that he offered prior to becoming that all-star player that we've seen him become. And Derek White just did a really good job of bridging that gap, Um, kind of bolstered their bench a little bit because when Jason, uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown sit, Derek White is able to step onto the court with the bench and facilitate and kind of offer uh, a guy that can kind of raise the floor of the bench when those guys are off And the result is what we're seeing now, just this amazing defense with a really, really sound offense, um, different ways to go about getting their buckets. And I really think all of that is just the primary catalyst of why they're where they are now and they're about to sweep the Nets.
0: Love
2: that. Just one thing also to jump in there, too, is that the Celtics, uh, a big storyline that people kind of didn't talk about a whole lot, but probably should have been mentioned with regard to the Celtics' early season struggles, is that the Celtics weren't healthy at the beginning of the season. Al Horford missed a lot of time with COVID. Um, Robert Williams got hurt in bits and pieces. Uh, Marcus Smart was out for, like, close to 20 games. And, I mean, we've seen what this team is like. When Marcus Smart isn't there to captain the defense and to get the offense going, he has been entrusted with a lot of responsibility as their point guard and deservedly so. And when he was out, the Celtics offensive flow was completely non-existent. They were just exclusively relying on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown's individual brilliance just to keep them in the games. Um, so, I think that's another factor that has to be kind of talked about with the Celtics early season slump is that they just really were not healthy until basically shortly after the All Star break.
0: And even if they weren't healthy, I mean, just like the roster was different. So, evaluating what the team looked like in November and December versus February and March, they're two different beasts, the so little apples and oranges. All right, uh, Alex King, you have another video that you made uh, shortly thereafter where you specifically talked about Rob Williams, and you called him a future defensive player of the year. I think a lot of people, casual fans, God bless them, you know, they get to see the highlights, but to watch a game and really just like hone in on what Robert Williams, first of all, is allowed to do on defense by way of the coaching staff, but also by way of his talents and athleticism. Tell us a little more about what you see from Robert Williams as a defender and perhaps what that might mean for the Celtics moving forward in the postseason.
1: Yeah, he the nice thing about him is he's like he's kind of like the perfect modern defensive center because he's not this lumbering seven footer that you have to camp him out in the paint. And, you know, he can't really come out to the perimeter. He might get hunted. Uh, by really effective shot-creating guards, kind of like we're seeing with Luka Doncic and Rudy Gobert uh, in, that, in that game yesterday. I mean, Luka was hunting for Rudy Gobert and getting switches and just able to create really whatever he wanted. Um, and Robert Williams is really effective simply because he is a shorter big man, uh, which has its drawbacks, but you know, he's able to come out to the perimeter because he's just so athletic um he can switch on to shot creating guards he's really good at recovering if he gets beat off the dribble a really incredible shot blocker I don't have to tell anyone that I think everyone knows at 2.2 blocks per game on the season um I think he was first or second uh in the entire league um had a fantastic season in terms of shot blocking but not just that I mean any defensive role that you need him to play he's capable of doing it simply because He's such a versatile defender. He can offer, you know, weak side help if he needs to. He can switch on pick and rolls. You can camp him out in the paint against uh, post-up big men. Really, whatever role you need him to play, just because he's so athletic, he isn't this lumbering big man that has so many weaknesses that are able to be exploited. He just offers so much that it's hard to imagine that with the defensive potential and not just potential but what we've seen from him already it's hard to imagine that this guy he was in defensive player of the year conversations this year if in my opinion if he didn't get hurt it was going to be between him and Marcus Smart so uh really it's hard to imagine he doesn't win a defensive player of the year at some point in his career considering he's already been in conversations for it at this point it's just a question of health
0: yeah and if the NBA guard no pun intended wants it to be centers and forwards not Backcourt players okay give it to robert williams then um <clears throat> so maybe robert williams is boston's defensive mvp but jason tatum is far and away the offensive mvp and all-around mvp and to borrow that same parlance i mean he might be an nba mvp someday soon and about three weeks ago you did a video breaking down how tatum has really become that sort of player um, So what specifically have you seen in Tatum's game that like really vaunts him into that rarefied air and how far can that take the Celtics do you think?
1: Yeah. So I was actually listening to uh, the low post the other day. This was like a month ago. I say the other day, it was like maybe a month and a half, two months ago, but uh, he was talking about the most improved player award and he was talking about John Morant. John Morant was his pick for most improved player And his reasoning for that was uh, John Morant took the leap from kind of that star level player to superstar level player, MVP caliber player, which he described as the hardest leap to take. It's the most difficult you, you know, going from role player to star. That's, I I don't want to say it's fairly common, but we see it, you know, way more often than guys who are all-star caliber players becoming superstars. And to me with Jason Tatum, That's really kind of what he's done. He took that leap from all-star level player, all-NBA caliber player, went even further. And by the end of the year, he's, you know, top five in MVP talks. And that's a really difficult leap to take. And it's not just the fact that his scoring got more efficient. It's not the fact that his points per game increased. To me, what separates all-stars from all-NBA MVP caliber guys is offering more in more areas of the game. Jason Tatum's scoring got better. Don't get me wrong. But he also started to really showcase that elite defense that we knew he was capable of. You've got this 6'8", 6'9", 6'10", whatever his real height is. You've got this jumbo-sized forward who can guard pretty much anybody. Ridiculously athletic, can – do whatever you want him to do on the defensive end. He's got a really high motor and that defense, that defensive ability really started to become showcased. So not only was he scoring the ball, but on the other end, he was playing elite defenses or elite defense on the best defense in the entire NBA. And then not only that, we finally really started to see his playmaking come to fruition, which is something I talked about a lot last year. It was one thing that I was really excited to see from him was, you know, ooh, we're going to see this guy kind of jump up and assist, not just being a 25-point-per-game a scorer, We might see Jason Tatum, you know, six or seven assists per game. All those rebounds, you start getting the 27-7-7 seven and seven stat line that is, is so coveted amongst All-Stars now in All-NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, and he finally started to pick that up a little bit. And that's, to me, what catapulted him from just this All-Star to now this guy is controlling every area of the game and to me, that's one of the most important steps you can take as a player that wants to go from all-star to MVP-level player. And I think we're finally starting to see that.
0: Yeah, the the body of work is spectacular. Um, last night my girlfriend asked, "When did when was it clear that Jason Tatum was going to be a better player than Jalen Brown?" And I struggled to answer that question definitively because they're both drafted third, they're both had issues with their games early on. Uh, but the separation with re- great respect to Jalen Brown is, is, is pretty obvious at this point and maybe a podcast episode for another day. Um, well,
2: I think also Jalen has acknowledged it to some degree, like in sure. the interviews that he's been giving and in the ways that he's been talking about Jason Tatum. He, he knows like Jalen knows what's up. He knows that Tatum is an MVP level player and that he's clearly the second guy. What I think has been really promising actually is that Jalen has somewhat settled into that identity and sure. seems to be kind of embracing it now.
0: Yeah. And I don't know that Jalen Brown wants to sell ruffles or NBA 2k for kids. I mean, I think that they have different personalities and uh, sponsorship deals an MVP does not make, but um, I think that's part of like the, the allure. Um, Alex, King, we'll keep it moving with one last YouTube specific question. And I'm going to ask you to plug the show pretty hard with your final question. You, you broke down uh, how the Celtics can get to the finals. So tell us where to find that video and tell us about what you see from Boston. Yeah.
1: So uh, you can find that video on YouTube. If you just search Alex hoops, um, it's one of my most recent videos. I think it's probably my second or third most recent. Um, you can also find my Twitter, Twitter account. Uh, it's just Alex hoops, but the L is an I it's a capital I instead of a L. Um so, yeah, you can find that on my YouTube. Uh, you can find my YouTube through my Twitter. Uh, but really what I talked about, the main things that I that, that I went over was we've, we've talked about it for the entire podcast now, but the defense that the Celtics have been playing um, is just unbelievable. I mean, Al Horford, what he's doing at 35 years old, I was talking about it on on the podcast that I do uh It's, it doesn't make sense. A 35 year old moving like that against a player like Kevin Durant is really unbelievable. It's just not something that we see very often. It's hard for, it's hard enough for a 35 year old to still be a reliable interior defender. The fact that he is a reliable perimeter defender at 35 is ridiculous. It's just not something that you see. And then not only that, they're getting amazing defensive contributions from guys like Grant Williams too. I mean, Grant Williams' defense on Kevin Durant—I've been blown away by. I knew Grant Williams had really started to come into his own as a player this year and really start to show that he was an effective uh, kind of role player, quote unquote. And now I've been watching him, and I'm like, holy cow! Like this guy's locking up Kevin Durant. I think he held he held uh, I think he held Kevin Durant to like four of 11 shooting in game one or something like that. It was some crazy defensive uh, defensive field goal percentage or something like that. And the, you couple that with the fact that Marcus Smart continues to play defensive player of the year level defense on not just mm-hmm. Kevin Durant, but Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving dropped his 39 points in game one. And Marcus Smart, when he was defending uh, Kyrie Irving, I think he only shot like three of seven from the field. Mm-hmm. And the stuff that he's doing to these prolific scores is really really hard to do and I talked about it on Twitter the other day as well it's you know you can sit there and say oh Kevin Durant's choking or his shots just aren't falling and I don't think that's it I think it's they figured out how to stop Kevin Durant when you look at the way Marcus Smart and Al Horford and Grant Williams and Jason Tatum are defending Kevin Durant when Kevin Durant shoots the ball he he brings it fairly low he doesn't have a a quick catch and shoot release like that he's getting the ball low and he has to bring it up so when Al Horford and Marcus Smart and all these guys are defending Kevin Durant they've got their their forearm in his chest so he can't bring the ball up like that and so Kevin Durant has to kind of hitch it to the side to get it up to his release point you know he's got to do all this different stuff and they're just making him uncomfortable Kevin Durant really you know, some teams know to do it, but for the most part, teams don't really play physical defense on Kevin Durant. But they don't realize that physical defense makes Kevin Durant really uncomfortable. He doesn't like it. He is, for his size, he's not really a big guy. Everyone knows Kevin Durant is a pretty skinny guy. So his ability to deal with that physical defense is pretty limited just because of his frame. And then you also take into into consideration, you know, after game one, everyone was like Kevin Durant's playmaking is really going to need to step up if if they want to win this game. And I agree. I, I think that's one of the biggest limitations of his game is that he's not very effective passing out of double teams, passing out of triple teams. And when honestly you're that tall and you're that good of a player, it's surprising that he's not able to pass out of double and triple teams. And it's a glaring, glaring flaw in his game. And the fact that the Celtics are exploiting that to the level that they are is, you know, not just props to the players, props to Ime Yudoka for hammering yeah. the crap out of that, because it's one of the biggest reasons that they're up three. 0 I mean, they made Kevin Durant take 11 shots last night because he's like, I have to play differently. And yeah, he did play differently, but it wasn't enough to help them win mm-hmm. and their defense is just so sound i'm really excited to see if they end up going against the bucks or the bulls um most likely the bucks if we're being honest i'm really excited to see what they do against giannis uh obviously giannis is a much different player than than kyrie irving and kevin durant so it's going to be really interesting. I, I can't wait just from a, an X's and O's perspective sure. what they try to throw at him and and what they try to do because right now the Nets are just so one-dimensional and the fact that the Nets can be so efficient from three in just about every game that they've played. Game one and two, the Nets as a team shot 45% from three. I don't know what they shot in game three last night, but you know if they can shoot 45% from three and Boston is still winning, that's – That's impressive to me. That says a lot about what they're doing.
2: Yeah. The Celtics defense is actually, it's been earning a lot of comparisons to the 2012 Memphis Grizzlies and how they defended Kevin Durant in that playoff series against the Oklahoma City Thunder. And it's true that schematically there are a lot of similarities, namely, they're trying to push Durant off of his spots, they're trying to get it so that he doesn't even get a chance to get to the places that he prefers to score from, and they're just constantly sending bodies at him, whether it's on ball or off ball. But the big difference between the Celtics and that team is very much, as you pointed out, Alex, that they have a Grant Williams, they have a Marcus Smart, they have just more personnel that are capable of playing that way, not only physical defense and like, you know, kind of getting up into Kevin Durant's chest, but really staying glued to him and like running with him. There's no Zach Randolph that can be like drawn out into a switch or Um, You know, Mike Conley that Kevin Durant can just kind of pull up and shoot over. Literally everybody on this team uh, is big, physical, fast, and it's just the perfect blend of personnel and scheme that you want to have for a guy like Kevin Durant. Obviously, Peyton Pritchard doesn't quite fit that, but he's also playing like eight minutes a game exclusively to be a microwave heat check guy, so it's kind of not the same thing. You mentioned Grant Williams. I just want to give a quick shout out to General Ulysses S. Grant Williams on Twitter, who has been keeping the faith on the Grant hive for years. Whenever there there was a lot of controversy around Grant last year as to whether he could be an NBA rotation player, whether the Celtics should move on from him or not. And there were a select few people on Twitter, myself included, who still believed that Grant Williams would be an impact player. The general led the charge. So I want to give a shout out to that account specifically. So, yeah, shout,
0: shout out. To, we were going to tag him for the, or her, them, I don't know, uh, for this post anyways, because they were asking about our next episode. And I'm sure that they have rated and reviewed this high quality podcast on iTunes. Make sure that you do that as well. Uh, Make sure that you check out Alex Hoops on YouTube and Alex with the capital I Hoops on Twitter and Alex King, the Alex behind Alex Hoops. Uh, We'll get you out of here with this. I'll let you go last. You get the last word here. Let's 30 seconds or less. Everyone gets a a little soliloquy on their favorite non-Celtics Nets series in the opening round. I'll go first to buy you all some time. I know that that the the outcome is probably guaranteed, but the Bucs ball series has been great. Um, DeMar DeRozan is so fun to watch play basketball. Uh, I don't know if he is that good or if the Bucs are that inept on defense, but holy cow, it's like Durant. I mean, he just pulls up from 18 feet and it goes in almost every time. It's miraculous. And then to your point, Alex King, the way that Giannis affects the game I hope never gets old for me because he catches it at the elbow and then he takes a dribble and suddenly he just dunked on three Bulls players. I don't know if with the Chris Middleton injury, the Bucks are a championship caliber team right now. That's really up to Lopez and Drew Holiday, but yeah, I don't think Giannis is going to win MVP, but he's right there because holy hell. So as long as that Rust Belt Midwest battle lasts, I really, really enjoyed that. Um, Alex Goldberg, favorite non-Celtics Nets series
2: opening round, 30 seconds or less. Uh, For me, it's got to be the back and forth between the Timberwolves and the Memphis Grizzlies. I love this series. It's Mm -hmm. been just twists and turns everywhere. Uh, Dudes playing above their expectations, below their expectations. Pat Bev is out here doing stuff. like This is an awesome, awesome series, and I'm excited to see it go to seven games.
0: Yeah, I'll just say, staff the court. It's not about you. Uh, (laughs) Dr. Quinn?
3: For me, it's been trying to see what is going to happen with this Toronto 76ers series. It's been very interesting to see how Embiid has been dealing with his probably very similar injury to what kept Jalen out of the playoffs last season. He managed to put up something like 21 or 22 points and like seven rebounds or something like that. I didn't keep track of the exact score, but he did it with almost no free throws, very little passing. Uh, It definitely has changed his game considerably. So I would be worried about that team becoming the first team in history to lose a, a 3-0 lead uh, in the playoffs, if not for the fact that the rest of their roster seems to be rounding into shape fairly well. So I'm I'm really curious to see how they're gonna cope uh, with this injury moving forward. Because I mean, we all have to agree, I think, that Embiid is utterly critical to them getting any further in the in the postseason than Toronto. So very, very interesting.
2: You can't put that evil on Doc Rivers, Justin. Come on. I didn't say
3: it! <laughs> I was about to. I'll put that evil
0: on him right now. If any team is going to blow a 3 nothing lead, it's a team with Doc Rivers and James Harden. Sorry. Uh, Alex King of Alex Hoops on YouTube. What series are you watching?
1: Uh, real quick about the Doc Rivers thing. The Nick Nurse quote was absolutely hilarious where he said when he was asked about being down 3-0, he said... All we have to do is win one because then it's three one and three one has been done before. And I was like, (laughs) that's perfect. That's the best. But uh, the series that I've been just unbelievably invested in mainly because the Timberwolves are my second favorite team, second or third favorite team in the NBA Uh, Timberwolves and Grizzlies has everything. Like it's got the highlight plays. It's got the trash talk between both teams, you know, John Morant's posting, clips from the last dance on instagram carl Mm -hmm. anthony towns is saying oh they're in minnesota now and then they lose their first game in minnesota and it's like this just has everything like the most hubris of any playoff series so far it's been just so much fun two really young fun teams um barring any major injuries i think it's going to continue to be really exciting i think it's it's tied at what two two now something like that um i think timberwolves won last night uh it's just such a fun series. It has everything, regardless of if you like or dislike either of the teams. It's got everything you could possibly want in a playoff series.
0: Yeah, if you're an East Coast person, I recommend staying up late for that series. Also, Golden State looks really scary. Uh, but that's possibly for another day. Alex King, you do great work over at Alex Hoops on YouTube and Alex with an eye on Alex Hoops with an eye on Twitter. Thanks so much for coming on the Celtics Lab podcast. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, anytime, man. We'll catch you soon. Thanks, everyone, for listening and like and subscribe to everything you ever listen to. It means so much to content creators. We'll see you
3: soon. Let's go, Seas.